So the promise of God is always good. And to trust in God is to take a risk. To follow God is always is to be challenged. And to question him is to explore him in uncertainty. The mission of God is fulfilling and the promise of God is always good. So over the past few weeks, we've been going through a model of discipleship that every single Christian experiences, whether they've articulated it yet or not. This is what it is to be a Christian. When you see the, well, it is to follow Jesus, but as you follow the promises of God, which is following Jesus, you move in through your life, you will see that God is doing good work in you. God is leading you. God is guiding you. And God is actually there uh, to be explored. So the past few weeks, we've, we've gone through these ideas. Um, this is our last one in the sermon series. Our next sermon series, we're going to finish off the book of Luke, um, which is really cool. You'll remember that we did Jesus the Theologian, and we, were, we went through um, eight weeks on the Gospel of Luke. We're going to do another four weeks as we go through the Easter season. We're going to hit the Passion Narrative and the Resurrection, and uh, really excited about that as well. So... Today we're, we're resting a little bit on questioning and, uh, and mission, and we're going to finish off with the final promise, where we see that this entire cycle is, is, closed, is a closed loop, and we're able to see that God takes us through this again and again and again. And, uh, and I'm really excited about it because today we get to wrestle with some of the more challenging passages of Scripture, um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, that's really cool. So if you have any questions, text you can text message uh, questions during the message. Use your tablet in front of you. Go to today's message. And at the bottom of today's message, you'll see a tab that you can, uh, that you can um, send in your questions. And, uh, and we'll get to them at the end of the message. Our scripture reading today is from Habakkuk chapter 1. And we'll read all of chapter 1 and then the first three Verses of chapter 2. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Habakkuk's complaint. Oh Lord, how long should I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry out to you violence. And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. The Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than, e than evening wolves, and their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. 
They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For, the, for they pile up the earth and they take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. Habakkuk's second complaint. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer than eyes, or you who are of purer eyes than to see evil, and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with his fishnet. He gathers them in his dragnet, so, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and, stand and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will, what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on the tablet so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. For surely it will come and it will not delay. Wow. Okay. Okay, that's uh, quite the chapter. There's a lot going on here where you've got, we've got uh, a man who is complaining against God and God gives him an answer that he does not like. And he's not okay with the answer. So we're going to dig into this passage today. And we're going to start by understanding that Habakkuk's questions, his complaints, explore God in uncertainty. You know, last week I ended with the idea that sometimes we think our, sometimes our vision of God is too small. Sometimes our vision of God fits these certain formulas and they, and they just go together and they say, okay, this is what God is going to do. If I do this, then God has to do this and this is going to be the outcome. If I do good, God has to bless me and my life is going to run smoothly. That's a formula, A, B, C. And so this is what Habakkuk is working with. He's working with a formula saying that if the people call out to God... God will answer the problem, and things are going to work out. And so Habakkuk has clearly been calling out to God. This is his view of God, and God is going to challenge it, and he's going to say, you're going to explore me in this uncertainty, and you're going to, you're going to understand me more. Because Habakkuk's view of God is, I have a challenge, and I've been calling out to God. And in verse 4, he says, he says how long, or sorry, verse 1, how long, O Lord, will I cry for help and you not hear? I'm doing A, why aren't you doing B? I'm right here. I've got step one right. 
And why aren't you coming through? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you fixing this mess? The world is falling apart right now. You're not fixing it. And so he, Habakkuk really believes that God is a refuge in time of need. And he would have gotten that from reading Torah. He would have gotten that from reading the Psalms of David. He would have understood that, that David would write and he would say, my God is a refuge in time of need. Perfect. This is the God of Israel. He would have understood that the prophets before him have spoken about turning to God and when you turn to God with your whole heart, that God will hear you and he will heal your land. But the land wasn't being healed. It wasn't working. Now, I don't know about you, but there might be a time in your life where, where the formulas that you've believed about God don't work. There might be a time in your life where maybe you've not come to it yet, but maybe you have, where, where you've believed something about God and you're just like, this is what it is. I see it in the Bible. It's going to work like this. And you say, if I do one, two, three, then God is going to do four, five, and six. It's going to happen. And then when you're in the moment and it doesn't happen, it gets hard. So the other formula that didn't work for Habakkuk is Israel is being punished for doing bad things. And Habakkuk's okay with that because that's in the law. That's in the law that when you abandon the law of God, then bad things are going to happen. That's part of the formula. But what wasn't explicit in the law was that when you don't do things that are, that are good, when you don't obey the law, then worse people are going to get the benefit and that's not working for Habakkuk. Habakkuk is stuck. He's going, wait a second. You're bringing the Chaldeans up? Those people are swine. Those people are lawless. They make up laws from their own brains. They're barbaric. That's not fair. How can you bless another nation that's worse than us for the purpose of what? not working for Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk takes this uncertainty that he feels. He takes this question that he has and he takes it directly to God. This is huge. Our Christian experience as we've been following God will come into times of uncertainty and questioning. It will come into times where you go, I don't know about this. I don't know if it's working. I don't know if this is what's supposed to happen. I don't, I don't know if I'm on the right track. And it just, we, we get to a point where we're just questioning. And we're just like, oh. And in our Christian context, oftentimes questioning is seen as doubting, which is seen as negative always. Oh, you can't quote, doubt, just have faith. Just have faith. That's the answer that's going to be given. Just have faith, don't doubt. Except for God doesn't actually say to Habakkuk, just have faith. What God does for Habakkuk is God expands, God expands his view of himself. God reveals a larger mission that's going on. God says, all right, I understand your questions and I'm doing something that you didn't expect, but you wait, you wait and see, because what I've got for you is better than you could have imagined. I am working at something that's way bigger than you could have thought. And so, so the mission of God is fulfilling. We need to understand God's larger mission before we're able to see his mission 
for us. So what's happened here is because Habakkuk is in this point where, where he's just struggling through, he's struggling through this uncertainty, God starts to give him answers and starts to say, okay, you need to take a look at this. You need to take a look around you. And he starts to tell us that in, in verse 5, he says, look at the nations and see wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. How many people actually believe that God's plan is bigger than our foresight? How many people actually believe that? It's sometimes hard to believe, but God's plan is actually bigger than our foresight. We can see so far down the road, and we see linear. We're very linear. So because everything that I perceive comes from my senses, it comes through my eyes. This is my perspective on life. None of you share my exact perspective on life because you don't see it through my eyes. And so we, we see things in a linear way where God is seeing things from a much different perspective. And so he says, I'm going to tell you something you're not even going to believe. I'm going to raise up this terrible nation. I'm going to raise up this terrible nation and they are going to come in and they are going to rout you. They are going to destroy you. You're going to be carried off. And this is exactly what, hap- what happens. Habakkuk was, was, uh, was, was a prophet to, um, to Israel before they, were, before they were taken off into captivity. And it's exactly what happens. And he says, he goes, I'm going to take, I'm going to take you guys off. And I'm going to fulfill, I'm going to fulfill my, my promised plan. And I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it in a way that you wouldn't believe it. It's going to change and challenge your view of me. See, God's timeline is way longer than ours. Let's consider Abram. Abram was called by God. And he's called by God and God gives him this promise that he's going to have children. And then he's going to have land. And he's going to be a blessing to all of the world. That's pretty sweet. I'm, for me in my life, I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to have children. I've got wonderful children. And I'm going to be a blessing to all the world. To all the world. That's huge. And so, so Abram's called from Haran to the promised land. From the day that he left Haran... He traveled down to the promised land when God showed him where he was going to live. Didn't give him the land, though. He says, all of this land is going to be your descendants. And that's, that's what it's going to be. From that day, it was over 500 years. 500 years. So let's think back in history, what that means in real life, real time. Um, oh yeah, 1500. Huh. Martin Luther, Calvin, they were just starting to write. Protestant Reformation was just starting. Uh, cars, not even a dream of it. Um, horse and buggy, lots of knights and shining armor and wars. Yeah, that was going on a lot. Um... 
this world here was completely inhabited by, uh, by indigenous people. There was no exploration from the east that had happened here yet. That's 500 years ago. To give us an idea of all of the changes that have happened over 500 years, that's how long God took to fulfill a promise, just the beginning of the promise, to Abraham. He gave him a promise and he goes, it's going to go a long time. You didn't expect that. Abraham did not expect that. Abraham was freaking out because, because he was promised a son in his old age and it took 10 years for him to actually get his son He'd taken matters into his own hand for sure. He'd been like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a son. So he goes and has a son with his hand, with his, with, his, uh, with his maidservant, just so that he could make God's promise happen. That's a whole other piece, right? You go through uncertainty and then you try to make God's promise happen. I don't know. I think, uh, I think some of us have been there for sure. Get this, David. God gives David a promise. Through your offspring, I will set my kingdom up forever. Sweet. That's pretty good. Good promise. Thousand years. One thousand years before Jesus comes. One th- okay. So God's got a different perspective on time. On time, we see that God is doing something very different. And God reveals his mission to Habakkuk. He reveals it and he says, he says, this is way bigger than your life. This is way bigger than your life. This is way bigger than what you thought. Your view was, oh yeah, we're in trouble. We're just going to call to God. God's going to answer us. It's all going to get fixed. Done. Everything is perfect. We're just going to have everything in order. And God's like, hmm, my promises are bigger than your life. You are involved and you are partnering with and you are a part of my promise, but it is bigger than your life and it isn't instantaneous. Sometimes we're going to walk through the hard times and we're going to go through these points and go like, God, I thought that it was just going to be wonderful. I thought it's just going to work perfectly. I thought, but I thought, and we go through these questions and we say, I don't get where you are, God. And a lot of times God's saying, you're way ahead of me. You're way ahead of me. I am doing work. And it's way bigger and way more grand than you could have ever imagined. And I'm faithful. And so it, it's sometimes really helpful when we go through uncertainty to take, like, instead of a, instead of a finite, like, just focused in view, we actually take a, a huge view and we take a global view and say, what direction is God going? In what way is God moving? When I, look at, when I look at the church in Canada, when I look at the church in Bradford, what direction is God doing? And God is moving the exact same direction he's been moving for 2,000 years. He's doing the exact same thing today that he did in the Bible. He is still the same God working the same way. And sometimes we just want to see it happen right now, right away. And God's like, yeah, I've got this long plan. I have a long plan. Did you know that when Jesus ascended up into heaven, he ascended and, and, and the people were like, okay, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Literally, that's what they thought. They had this full-blown perspective that when Jesus said, oh, I'll, I'll be back. Wait, no, that was the Terminator. 
apologize. So when Jesus said, I'm going to return, or the angel said he will return the way that, that you saw him go, then they expected, okay, a couple of weeks, he's just going to go prepare a place for us. They expected a couple of weeks. But we now know that the mission of God was so much larger than a couple of weeks because in a couple of weeks, they couldn't have transformed the entire world. They couldn't have made the invitation open to every single nation across the entire globe in two weeks. No, there was an incited plan of God where God said, I'm going to mark and I'm going to lead my people into the heart of the Roman Empire. And I'm going to transform the Roman Empire. And through transforming the Roman Empire, I'm going to transform the entire globe. I'm going to reach people with a message of hope and salvation. With a message that says, God is going to make all things right. And God is going to live with his people. With a message that's consistent through scripture. But nobody would have guessed it. Guys, in the questioning time in your life, in the times where you're questioning, the 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 reality is you wouldn't have believed it before you got to the question. If God had just said, oh, here's what I'm doing, and it's going to be this long throw, it's going to be this this going deep play, we'd be like, you can't land that. That's not going to happen. That's impossible. But God reveals to us just enough to keep us going, just enough to say, yeah, okay, I'm in. I get it. And then we get to the question, we go, but it didn't work out the way I want. And God goes, okay, I got another step for you. Word of God is a light into my path. Step right in front of me. I know what the next step is. I can't see it all. It might be enshrouded in darkness. But I can see my next step. And I can see that God is faithful. And God has been faithful. And he is reaching people. And so his his revelation is always greater See, our vision of the future, I'm talking about these long-term plans, God's promise to bring all things back. Our vision of the future is what drives our actions today. If our vision of the future, for example, holds this, let's say that we picture God as an angry, wrathful being. Let's go like full Dante's Inferno on this. All right? So we've got God as a completely wrathful, angry being who is just going to come and who is going to destroy the entire earth. And, but before he does it, he's going to take his chosen people out and then just consume everything in fire. If we take that as the literal, this is what God is going to do, it will determine our theology, and we see this in history. When the church believes that part of the physical world is just destroyed and consumed in fire, the church argues against care for the world. The church says, what does it matter? What does it matter? Who cares about environmentalism? God's just going to destroy the whole thing anyways. Who cares about what non-Christians think? They're just going to hell anyways. All we're going to do, we're going to gather, we're going to feel good about ourselves because that's, we just got to survive. We're God's chosen people. Your vision of the future determines the way you act today. When you say God is restoring all things and wants to live with people and make everything right, your vision of the future determines how you act. 
Because then you say, you know what's important? Community is important. Then you say, you know what's important? Restoring things to the way they should be. That's important. Because the way you see what God is doing determines the way you're going to follow him. Following is doing what somebody else is doing. So when you get a vision of what God is doing that's positive, you will see, okay, this is good. Now there is, there is space for wrath. There is space for God punishing and destroying. But he's destroying the evil things. The things that really get us pissed off as well. And sometimes he's destroying the evil things that we enjoy as well. And we go, huh. But God's like, no, this is good. And I'm going to destroy this. But he is, in, he is and will destroy the evil things. But the good, he will restore. The good, he will restore. And he does it through the person of Jesus Christ. He does it all through the person of Jesus Christ. And he calls us to a restored life. To a life that's way bigger than we ever could have imagined. To a life way better, a life that works better than what we could have dreamed. A life that the Bible calls blessed. And so when you read Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, it is about the blessing of God. See, God isn't as worried about um, the problems that you face as you are. Because God knows that he's got you. And the problems I face, I've faced many problems, and you've faced many problems, and they come as waves. Oh, I'm going through a hard time in my life. I'm going through seasons of problems. And they come as waves, and God goes, that wave's not going to drown you. That wave isn't going to overcome you, because my Holy Spirit is in you, and I've got you over the long haul. I'm holding you faithfully over the long haul. And so when, when we think about worry... We trust back on God's faithfulness and we go, we draw it into account. We draw it into account and say, God, you are faithful. You are faithful and so I can hold on through this trial, this hard time. I can walk through it even though I'm uncertain of how it's going to end. So when we see an eternal perspective of God, when we see an eternal perspective of what is God doing in your life, when you could look at that and you look down time and you say, okay, what does it look like when Jesus comes back? All of a sudden your life reorients because you're like, oh, God is doing good work. He is calling millions of people to himself to live eternally with him in peace and love. To be in perfect communion with God himself for all eternity. And there's something that is so comforting and alarming about that. To be in that perfect union with God where we live and take care of the earth, the recreated earth, and we live with purpose and we live in love towards our brothers and sisters because literally they actually become our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we live in perfect union Man, when I can see that vision, now I start to see a direction for where we are today. And I say, how do I do things? Empowered by the Spirit, how do I do things that help people see that vision? Because that's way better. And it's something that God does by removing evil and restoring love. Removing evil and restoring love. 
And so this is what we're joined into. We see an eternal perspective and it changes our metric of success. See, the promise of God is always good. If you're talking about, if you're talking to anybody about God and you're like, oh yeah, God is just promising to destroy you. (laughs) That's not good. God is promising to just crush you. He's just going to, he's just going to just rip you apart, destroy you, and he never fix you, and just, you will be utterly obliterated. That's not good news. That's not a good promise. The promise of God is to live with us. The promise of God is that he's going to remove the evil from inside of us. And when it really comes down to it, although I sometimes hold on to my evil, I've watched enough Facebook videos, especially of my, this is interesting. Okay, so stuff keeps on coming up on my Facebook feed because Facebook is, I think, more and more leaning towards being a female audience. Um, but there are these like videos of like mom guilt and stuff. And and I saw this one, I think, yeah, it was this one that was talking about like this mom's like, I just determined that I wasn't going to yell at my kid anymore. And I'm never going to do anything bad. She's like crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how I'm going to get through this. But I was like half asleep. And, uh, and so we're getting through this. And, and she, goes, she goes, but then within five minutes of seeing my kid, I'm just yelling at them and yelling at them. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like she's getting out this anger and this frustration at her kid. And she's feeling so bad for it. She's feeling terrible, but that it's still happening and she's feeling terrible. And here she is as a normal person in the world trying to do the best that she can do with what she's got. And she's feeling terrible and she's not able to express the type of love that she wants to express. That's what some of the evil is that's inside of us, where it just shows up. We didn't want it to show up. We didn't actually like it. We wish it wasn't there. And God promises to remove that. He promises to say, okay, I'm going to remove that. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, oh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, you're going to be able to, it's not that you never yell at your kids. Oh my gosh, I've yelled at my kids. (laughs) But it's not that I do it at a point where I'm so stuck and and I've got no control and I'm just miserable about it because I wish that I didn't ever do that. No, it's not that. Sometimes there's discipline. But it wasn't what this woman was experiencing. It wasn't accidental. I lost control of myself again. Why am I such a bad parent? I don't know why I brought that up, but that's something that I recognize that it's like, hey, God's promises are good. If we're stuck in a position that's like evil is happening, God's promises are good. And he removes it. He removes that evil. And so sometimes we go through this. The promises of God are good. And we see it, we trust it, we take a risk. We say, yeah, I'm in, I'm doing it. We're following and we're just like, this is hard, but it's good. I'm being challenged. And then we go through the uncertainty where we're like, is this really the right thing to do? Is it really going to work? And then God reveals a greater mission to us. And in that mission, there's a new promise, a new, a new hope for the future that moves us forward, that we say, okay, I'm in. I'm doing it. 
and he calls us to the next risk. And this is the Christian experience that happens again and again and again in our life and keeps us united. Because somewhere, you're in that moment. I'm going to check for text messages and then I have one more thing to say. If I believe, yes. How do we keep our hope when we see the promises of God, but we don't seem to have any movement because his timeline is much larger than ours? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like despair. You're just like, what do I do? How do I do this? So we go to, to Habakkuk. And it says, so still the vision awaits to point a time. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, because surely it will come. It will not delay. There's a, there's a tension, because here's the tension. In terms of the big plan that God has been doing, God could finish it at any moment. When we talk about the big thing, Jesus returning, it could be literally at any moment. God can fix all of this right now and be like, now is the time to restore everything to its final conclusion. And there is that hope that we hold on to and I have held on to in my entire life that God can and will restore everything and it can, there is nothing stopping God from doing it right now. There is nothing stopping Jesus from saying, and now the day of grace is over, and now we, now we bring it into the end. And we say, it's done, and I make everything right, right now. And so in that, in that time of tension where we're like, but God, it's such a long plan. Yeah, it has been a long plan, but it might be really short in its, con- in its ending. The disciples actually expected Jesus back in two weeks. I hope we're not so lulled to sleep that we don't see that, that Jesus could be returning within the next two weeks. It could just, done. And then on the other side, there are always things that God is working on you on in a micro level. Next week in our forum, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the smaller circles that we all experience We're going to talk about a time when I've gone through a period that God gave me a promise and then I trusted him and then it was hard and then I questioned him and then he showed me something really cool. So it happens on the small and it happens on the macro. And so both those things happen in our our experience of discipleship. So this is what I want to do. With the wheel, I want you guys to consider for a moment, and we're going to really dive into this next week, so I'm giving you a little bit of forethought towards our discussion next week. When has been a time in your life where you've heard some form of promise from God, some form of calling that said, oh, there's a good thing that God has for me? When when has there been a time in your life that you have taken that good thing and you've said, I'm going to trust that? It might have been your salvation moment. It might have been the moment that you said yes to Jesus. But you said, I'm going to trust that. Or it might be something later. It might be later on in life. You know, you've, you've, God says, I'm going to get you out of your job and give you a new job. And you've got, I'm going to trust that. And you start to follow it. You've taken the risk. You're going to follow it. And you're going to say, okay, I'm moving in that direction. But, oh, wow, there's some challenges that I've got to, there's some stuff I've got to change. There's some things that need to be adjusted here. And you've gone through that process. And as you look to God, it's, it's kind of been like, uh-oh, did I do it wrong? 
Did I change this wrong? God, I don't understand. What are you doing here? I don't get what's going on. Something, we've hit a speed bump. And we can run away from those questions and go back to just trying harder. Or we can walk through those questions. And as we walk through those questions, we see God saying, ah, yeah, you thought it was going to be just like ABC, but I've got a whole bunch of other steps that I'm taking you on. When was the time in your life that, that you've gone from questioning and started to see God has a bigger mission for you? He's got something huge for you. He's doing something great that you would not have believed it if he first showed you, but now you're ready to believe it. You're ready to say, okay, I see that you're doing something even bigger, and that turns into another promise. When's the time in your life when this has happened? Maybe it's happened 10 times. Maybe you could think of, of moments where it's like, whoa, God has done something. I want to encourage you. If you could plot yourself on this even once, this is God's active hand in your life. This is the type of thing that you could boast about and share about and say, God is doing something. Look, he led me through this. This becomes our witness and our testimony. And it's good. Right here, we're able to say, yeah, you know, I know that God's real because he promised me this and I, and I trusted him. Follow him, question him, and he shows me how great he is in his mission. Devin, come on up, please, if you, if you will. And uh, I'm just going to close in some prayer. God, I thank you so much. Your promise is true and good. And you are so faithful. I thank you that you are good and you are God and you have it in control. And so, Jesus, I pray that as we wrestle through this cycle, as we go, hey, where does this fit in my life? God, I pray that, that we would start to see your active hand. We would start to see that, oh, it's not just about what we learn at church on Sundays, but that you are actually guiding us by your Holy Spirit. You are actually doing things in our lives. And you're growing us and teaching us. I pray you would be glorified in the things that we do as a church. Be glorified with this, with this expression of your body. In Jesus' name. Amen.